Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of First Chronicles. The book of First Chronicles and chapter number 16. The book of First Chronicles and chapter number 16. We are continuing with our series of the life and ministry of David. And the last time we left off that David has taken Jerusalem and has made that the capital of Israel. The kingdom has been united under the banner of David. And now, in order to, to uh, rectify things of the past, that he has attempted to bring the Ark of the Covenant and bring it into Jerusalem as a permanent dwelling place. And if you remember that we saw in that, <laughs> that incident that the principle of doing God's work God's way, that the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant itself was displaced because man tried to do his own work man's way and the ark of the covenant had been outside of the the temp, uh, the temporary dwelling place called the tabernacle for 80 something years for a long time and now david tried to bring the <coughs> ark of the covenant back and unfortunately we all saw after that that we saw man trying to do god's work man's way and that they had some good ideas and they were trying to do it for the Lord, but they did not do it the way that God asked for it to be done until finally we saw it done God's way, that God's work had to be done God's way. As we continue with this same incident, that we're going to uh, spend some time on this incident looking at it different perspectives. Tonight and then also on Sunday morning we'll be following through putting an emphasis on this thing here. That's why it was important to kind of understand where we're at. We're at the place of bringing the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant back or into Jerusalem for a permanent dwelling place. And with this, we are now introduced to a character, to a real-life historical figure. Remember, there's many different ways to study the Bible. You could study the Bible by its themes, and there are some great themes to the Bible. You could follow the scarlet thread of God's redemption, or the golden uh, thread of Christ's second coming. You could study the Bible by its different topics. You could study the topic of hell or the topic of angels. You could study the Bible by its books, which I love to do to take a book and to be able to go through it to study the Bible by its words and there's also to study the Bible by its characters to be able to look and see a person's life with the idea that everybody's life including yours teaches a message everybody's life teaches a message and here we are introduced to a person for the first time in this series. And he's not mentioned at all within the books of Samuel, but he is highlighted quite a bit through the book of First Chronicles. So with that being in mind, let's re-look at this historical event of David bringing up this Ark of the Covenant and see the character, the historical person who's introduced within this time frame. So with this, turn with me to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 16. The book of 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and notice with me starting at verse 1. 
the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And in verse 1, the Bible says this. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had made an end of the offering, the burnt offerings and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dwelt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief and next to him Zechariah, Jael and Shemiramoth and Jehiel and Mathaniah and Eliab and Benaniah, and Obedidim, and Jael with psalteries and harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. And Benaniah also, and Jeziel the, the priest, with trumpets continually before the ark of the covenant of God. Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph, Asaph and his brethren. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing songs unto him. Talk ye of his wondrous works. Glory ye in his name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 16? The book of 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and notice with me in verse number 5, the name Asaph the chief. Asaph the chief. And with this, we're going to see another phrase we'll underline a little bit better or a little bit later within the text that we'll see. But we see Asaph and with the idea that the generations to come might know. Asaph, that the generations to come might know. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you tonight, I am looking forward to open up the scriptures. I am looking forward to be an encouragement to these dear folks dealing with this historical person of Asaph. And to see how important he is, even though oftentimes he falls uh, to the unknown category, but how important he was and how you used him, not only for his generation, but to generations to come. Help us to learn the principle of his life and to see how you used him. Now with this being said and you putting a great emphasis on a certain matter, we're asking that you would please Put me out of the way. The best I know how I surrender myself to you. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. That you get your own work accomplished. I'm asking that you let me to settle down inside of your will. Settle down into what you would have done. And trust you to get your own work done through your precious word. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. 
Well, if you don't mind, we're going to walk through the Bible quite a bit tonight. And we're going to examine the life and ministry of Asaph. And see the, the banner of his life. To see the thing that he is carrying through that the generation to come might know. If you don't mind, the very first thing we're going to explore in the life of Asaph is that we're going to see Asaph's ministry in David's time. Asaph's ministry in David's time. We're going to come back to 1 Chronicles chapter 16 in just a second. But turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And here we're going to be introduced to the man of Asaph. Now, if you might remember, as we talked about on Sunday morning, that God had put specific requirements in carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That there was a certain way that it was to be transported. And there was a certain people that was supposed to transport it. The type of the tribe of Levi that was placed in charge of transporting the Ark of the Covenant was the tribe known as the Kohathites. They were a specific family within the tribe of Levi, the family of the Kohathites. And if you don't mind, I'd like to show you just something really quick. And I would love, I have a whole message that I preach uh, probably later on uh, about the Kohathites from 1 Chronicles chapter 6. We understand that this is in the midst of the begots. This is when you read your Bible and you hit 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and you go, no, so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so. So and you're like, how in the world do I get anything out? But there is so much inside of these genealogies. If you don't mind, may I introduce you to Asaph from this genealogy? First Chronicles chapter number 6. Notice with me as we pick it up in verse 22. I'm going to highlight a couple different things in verse Chronicles chapter 6. Notice in verse 22. The sons of Koath, Amadeb, excuse me, Amminadab, his son, and Korah, his son, and Aser, his son. May I take a little pause there? Notice there's a name there named Korah. We're not going to put a great highlight on this right now, but you understand who Korah was? He was the one who rebelled against Moses. And that God opened up the earth and swallowed him. And it swallowed his family and those that rebelled against him. But did you know that Korah had a son that lived? Korah... And his son, Aser, Aser, his son, Elkanah, his son, and El uh, his son, and Aser, his son. Then notice as it continues to go on. And by the way, you want to know who else is in that list? Samuel the prophet is in that list. Notice as we go on, there's someone else in this list. Verse number 30. And Shimea, his son, and Haggith, his son, and Asa, his son. And these are they whom David set over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark had rest. And they ministered before the dwelling place of the tabernacle and the congregation with singing until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then they waited on their office according to the to their order. And these are they that waited with their children of the sons of the Kohathites, uh, Heman, a singer, the son of Joel, the son of Shemael. And it goes through this list. And then we go to verse number 39. And his brother Asaph, who stood on his right hand, even Asaph, the son of Barakai, the son of Shimei. So in this, we see this list here. Where in the world did Asaph came from? Asaph was a Levite of the tribe of the Kohathites. The Kohathites, as a reminder, were the ones who were tasked by God to carry the Ark 
of the covenant. So he was of this family. And from this family, you had Korah who rebelled. He was the numbskull. He was the bad fruit in here. But the rest of the family after that said, Nope, we're not going to follow in his footsteps. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Isn't it good to know that there's hope for the home? That granddaddy may have been a burglar, but doesn't mean you have to steal. That grandma may have been a murderer, but doesn't mean you have to go kill. There's always hope for the home. And aren't you glad for that? Samuel the prophet came from this line. Asaph came from this line. And Asaph is going to be important. But what we're understanding here is that Asaph is a a Kohathite from the tribe of Levite. And he was charged specifically by David to do something special. Turn back with me to the book of First Chronicles chapter 16 where we had started reading from and I want you to be introduced to what Asaph was put in charge of doing during David's time. Notice with me in verse number 4. First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 4. And he, this is David, appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to, and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Notice this. Here we see that Asaph, verse 5, is the chief. So David had set aside certain young men, especially Asaph, who is now in charge. Asaph is going to be placed as the chief musician, as the head worship leader, as the guy who's in charge of all the music for the kingdom of Israel. At this time, Asaph is about 20 years old. So think about that. He's 20 years old when he starts to serve. And his job is to minister, serve, that word minister means to serve, before the ark of the Lord. So his first part of his job is that he's supposed to go before the ark of the Lord. And remember the ark of the covenant is to represent the presence of God. And so his job is to go and give praises to God. To go before God in his presence with singing. But notice this. And to record and to think and to praise the Lord. What, this is part of his job is that he's supposed to record and uh, praise the Lord. What does this mean to record? Well, notice with me in verse number 7 as we see this continuing on. Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So here in verse 7, David wrote a psalm and he delivered it into the hand of Asaph. And he said, all right, Asaph, here's your song. I want you to teach it before all the people. I want you to teach people this song. What a wonderful thing that was his job to do. David wrote this psalm just for this occasion. Asaph, I want you to learn this psalm. And I want you to quote it. And I want you to teach people this psalm. I want you to be able to teach people the word of God through the song. Notice as he goes on, and we can see in verse number 37, uh, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 37. So he left there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, Asaph and his brethren, notice what they were here to do, to minister before the ark, of, uh, ark continually as every day's work required. So Asaph's job, Asaph's job was to minister, to serve God daily. How was he supposed to worship God daily? In praise and worship. 
Many people believe that Asaph was the one who put music to David's psalms. So David wrote a lot of psalms. He would write the psalms down. Asaph would take the words and he would put music to it. And the people would begin to sing the actual songs of David. For example, we've been singing a fellowship song from Psalm uh, 51, verses 10 through 11, creating me a clean heart. Well, we understand you could read the Bible and you could see the words to it, but there's something about putting it to a song that allows people to remember it, to be able to hide it in their hearts, to be able to keep the words in their mind, to singing. There's something to it. Well, that was Asaph's job. Asaph's job was to minister to God, to help people to know the word of God by teaching them to sing the words of the Bible. To teach them doctrine through music. That was his daily job. Every day his job was to minister to God. To work for God in the area of music. To teach people the word of God. So that they, they can praise God. And worship him. Notice as it continues to go on. First Chronicles chapter 25. Now this is all during David's life. Uh, that Asaph is working. Notice towards the end in 1 Chronicles chapter 25. 1 Chronicles chapter 25. And notice as it now gives like a recap of what is occurring in David's life. 1 Chronicles 25. Notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Chronicles 25. Notice in verse 1. Moreover David and the captains of the hope separated to the service of the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jedetha who should prophesy with harps, with psalteries, and with cymbals. And the number of the workmen according to their service was of the sons of Asaph, Zerker and Joseph, and uh, Nethina and Asarela, and the sons of Asaph under the hands of Asaph, which prophesied according to the order of the king. So here's Asaph. By the end of David's life, Asaph has been instructing his children and the other musician's children and begin to work with them. Notice with me verse 6 and 7. All these were under the hands of their father for song in the house of the Lord with cymbals and psalteries and harps for the service of the house of God according to the king's order to Asaph, Jedithan, and Heman. So the number of them which their brethren that were instructed in the songs of the Lord, even all that were cunning, was two hundred fourscore and eight. So Asaph took his job seriously. My job is to teach others the word of God. And so he started and built a choir just from his descendants and the other choir leaders' descendants. And they put together a children's choir. And they had 288 of them who were, notices the, what the Bible says, they were cunning. Uh, even all of them that were cunning. This carries the idea that they were skillful. So he had practices for them and worked with them and had the kids singing. Oh, what a wonderful thing that he had this children's choir. You know, one of the most innocuous ministries of a church, what does that mean? It means one of the services that are often look down upon and look like it's a waste of time and all that is a children's choir. 
But do you understand that is one of the most important ministries you can have within a service? Is to teach the kids to sing. Not just to sing. Someone can say, well, I could teach my kids to sing at home. That's not the purpose of children's choirs to teach them to sing. It's to teach them to serve the Lord through music. And to underscore this, you're going to see. Remember what we said the title of Asaph? That the generations to come might know. You're going to see this amazing principle carried out. We're just talking about Asaph's life here. But he began to work with the children. And got a choir of 288 of them. And their job was to serve the Lord in singing. And he put this together. Oh, what a wonderful thing to get children to serve. I, now, there's a principle. We need to teach them to sing, first of all. But to teach them to serve. There's nothing like taking teenagers to a retirement home and letting them sing. There is something to be able to have at the end of the year, to have Sunday school classes, have the kids, and have them to sing. To be able to do something with children and teach them. It does something in their heart to, to serve God. And it puts something in them so they don't waver. But they continue to go forward in the doctrine of God. Like I said, one of the most innocuous, one of the things that's most sneered at and ignored and think, looked down upon is a children's choir, a children's ministry. Well, let me tell you, one of the healthiest things you could do in strengthening in a church, not just for now, but forever, is a healthy, strong children's choir. And in case you... Don't take my word for it. Pay attention to the rest of the message. And you see for yourself what the Bible has to say concerning this. So we start off with Asaph ministering in David's time. If you don't mind, may I show you something else? That Asaph's ministry in the Psalms. Asaph's ministry in the Psalms. Now, turn with me as I begin to talk in Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Now, we understand that, as I explained before, David wrote Psalms and handed it to Asaph. And Asaph turned, it turned a lot of them to music. But Asaph himself was called a seer. We'll see that a little bit later. But the idea of a seer is that's a prophet. And that the idea of a prophet has two jobs. There is the idea of forth-telling. And foretelling. Foretelling has the idea of prophecy. That I am foretelling what is going to happen. And by the way, Asaph did that. But there's also the idea of forthtelling, Which is saying, this is what God said and let me teach it to you. And Asaph did that as well. And so because of this, he's referred to later on in history as Asaph the seer, the prophet. How did he prophesy? Did he stand up in church and preach? Not necessarily. He prophesied in song by teaching people the Psalms. Asaph himself wrote 12 Psalms in the Bible. Psalm 50 and Psalm 73 to 82. So he wrote 12 psalms, Psalm 50 and Psalms 73 to 83. Psalm 73 to 83. Those are 12 psalms. Those are those that we identify with Asaph, meaning that he didn't just write the music to it, he wrote the words to it. God used him as a human penman to record 12 psalms. 
A great example of Asaph's ministry is found in one of these psalms, Psalm 78. And so if you don't mind, let's look in Psalm 78 and see as God had given by the inspiration of Holy Spirit these words for Asaph to pin down. Notice with me in Psalm 78. And notice with me, uh, and starting at verse 1, let's get a running start and then I'll highlight some. Psalm 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth, words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he had done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and hath appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they shall make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who shall arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and forget not the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Here we see this great example of Asaph's ministry. Notice in verse 4. We are not to hide them from their children. Here we see that we're supposed to teach children about things. What are they supposed to teach children? Uh, verse 4, we shall not hide them from their children, showing unto the generation to come. By the way, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark that phrase, showing to the generation to come. This is what Asaph's emphasis was, to show the generation to come, to teach kids about following God. What was he supposed to teach them? Verse 4 says it. Showing them forth the generation to come the praises of God. The very first thing that he was supposed to show them was to praise God. You understand, the earlier you can get kids praising God, the better off they're going to be. That's why we teach our nursery workers. As you stand back there, you're not there to babysit them. You're there to work with them. Sing Jesus Loves Me to them. Tell them a Bible story. We want to work with them right away to teach them to follow God. To teach them to praise God. To teach them to learn about it. Teach them these wonderful songs that have doctrine and truth. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. You know what we're doing is we're teaching them at a young age to trust the Bible, to look at the Bible. That is foundational to have those type of things. It puts them in their mind and they start developing from a young age to trust God's Word, to look at Him. Notice what else? They're supposed to have, uh, teach children about praising God, but notice this. And his strength. Another thing we're supposed to teach the kids is this, the strength of the Lord. Look at what God can do. That my God is so big. My God is so mighty. There is nothing my God cannot do for you. To teach them that our God is big. To teach them that God can do all things. That God is amazing. That we can trust Him through everything. Our God is great. We're supposed to teach the kids about praising Him. We're supposed to teach the children, the generation to come. That the strength of the Lord. But notice this. 
We will not hide them from our children, showing them to the generation uh, to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. We're also supposed to show about God's wonderful works that God answers prayers. Look at what God can do. Look at what God has done in the past and He'll do it for you. God's a God who's able to hear and answer prayers. Our God is able to do wonderful works. Notice me in verse number 5. What else are we supposed to teach the children? For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded their fathers that they should make them known to their children. The word testimony and the word law are synonymous with the Bible. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to, he commanded the fathers that they should make them what? The Bible, the laws, the commandments, the testimonies known to their children. We're supposed to teach kids the Bible. That's what children's ministries are so important. Children's ministries are not to go have an extra hour of football while the adults are teaching Bible stuff. We teach kids the Bible at an early age and teach them about following God's word and loving God's word. (laughs) There's all kinds of things that we're learning here that we're supposed to teach children the word of God. Notice with me as it goes on in verse number 6. That the generation to come, there's that phrase again, that the generation to come might know them, God's word, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. You know what we're supposed to be teaching kids? We're supposed to teach them the Bible with the understanding that one day they are going to teach someone else. You know when you're teaching a Sunday school class, you're teaching a class full of future Sunday school teachers. You're teaching future pastors, future missionaries. When you have that in mind that these are servants of God, it makes it change a little bit how we teach. I want them to learn the word of God because I expect them to use this inside of their, their, their lives and their ministry. That we're expecting them to teach the things that I teach them and they're supposed to teach others also. Paul said this to Timothy. The things that you've heard among... <coughs> Among many witnesses, the same teach those to faithful men who shall teach others also. Paul taught a Timothy with the expectation that Timothy is going to take faithful men and that faithful men are going to teach others also. This is a principle you find over and over in the Bible. Why are we teaching children the word of God? With the expectation that not only will they obey it, but they're going to teach someone else as well. Notice as we go on in verse 7. And... That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep his commandments. We're teaching them so that all the children can hope they could trust God and follow him. We're not teaching the word of God so they know some interesting facts. We want them to be able to trust God for themselves. To follow God, to hope in God, to have confidence in God. So much that they're willing to obey God because they believe it so much. This is a ministry to children. We're supposed to reach out to children. The greatest things that are going on is our Sunday schools where we're teaching kids, boys and girls, teaching them the word of God. To have everything we do, whether it's uh, children's choir, all of these things are working together. As we work with children, we're preparing another generation to serve God and to get them in their minds right away. Notice with me in verse number 8. 
and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their hearts aright, whose spirits were not or was not steadfast with God. We can see the alternative that children who are not taught the word of God, they fall away. They go out into the world. That's why it's so important to teach children doctrine, to teach them to follow after God. Because if they're not, they've done studies, it's amazing <coughs> that they say only one out of ten teenagers attend a church of any kind, good, bad, whatever. One out of ten teenagers in America attend church of any kind. By the time they graduate, only three out of ten are going to remain in church. So only one out of ten are in church now. Only three out of ten of those kids will remain in church when they graduate. And we wonder why the churches are losing ground. Because we're failing with our kids. We have to be working with the kids. Now adults are important. But a church has to put an emphasis on teaching children Bible. To work with them. Because these are our next workers. These are the people we're working. Now praise the Lord for any 45 year old. Who may have wasted their life and has turned to Christ. But you understand. We have a lot of catch up work to go work with them. To teach them the Bible. And prepare them to be in service of God. But to take a child. And to work with them. And teach them to love the Lord. We're not talking about twisting their arm. We're saying we're working with their heart. That's the idea of working with the music. We're not just saying you do this, dress right, and whatever else, and being mean to them. And we're teaching to grab a hold of their heart for the Lord. It is a mission of the heart. And we're working on trying to raise up a generation who's going to continue to serve God even when they become adults. And not fall away. So what we see here in Psalm 78 verses 1 through 8 the summary of the ministry of Asaph. We know that he wrote the Psalms, but he also recorded here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what he was doing. So we start off in Asaph's ministry in David's time, that he was appointed to be the singer. He was appointed to be the chief musician. His job was to encourage people in the faith, to work with them. Then we could see that he was working with the Psalms and he recorded what he did. He's working with kids and he's realizing that there's another generation. It's not just this generation that matters, it's the next generation. And we have to work with them and encourage them. So what happens? Do we read in the story that, well, Asaph died and his kids hated him? And they said, well, I'm not going to serve God. And well, you know, dad was crazy. He went to church all the time, but I don't. What happened? Well, I'm thankful that the Bible recorded it. Let's see what happens. The next thing I want to show you is Asaph and his son's ministry in Solomon's time. Asaph and his son's ministry in Solomon's time. So we had David's time. Now remember, uh, Asaph was about 20 years old when he was appointed by David to minister. By about uh, Solomon's time, that's 40 uh, years that David ruled. David had uh, established Jerusalem as a capital probably about seven, eight, nine years into it. So right now, Asaph is in his 50s. When it's time that Solomon takes over. Notice if you don't mind in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And let's see what happens. 2 Chronicles chapter number 5. This is where it's going to get really good. Because it's one thing to teach a message like this and say, yeah, that's right, that's good. 
But does it really work? Well, I like to show people what works and what doesn't work. So notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter number 5. 2 Chronicles, chapter 5, and notice with me in verse 12. 2 Chronicles, chapter 5, and verse 12. <coughs> also the Levites that were the singers, all of them of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding with the trumpets. So what is happening here, we'll continue reading in just a second. Solomon is dedicating the temple of the Lord. Now David had used them when he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, but then he parked it. It was Solomon that built the temple, and now that the temple is there, they're dedicating the temple. They moved the Ark of the Covenant inside of the temple into the Holy of Holies, and now they're putting a big thing on. They're standing on top of the Temple Mount, and they're singing and praising, and Asaph is leading the charge, and with it he's got his his sons and the choir that he's taught these kids have grown up and they're standing there and they're all preparing notice what happens in verse 13 and it came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one meaning as they started playing it was just like one all together there was unison to make one sound be heard in praising and thanking the Lord and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music. And praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That the, then the house of, was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. So that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Asaph and his sons and the choir that he trained, they were singing praises to God. And they started to sing with unison and praising him. And their hearts were toward him. And they were doing everything right. And God put his presence down. And his presence was so thick that they couldn't even approach the temple because God's presence was there. Anyone approaching it would just feel the holiness of God and they would be brought to their knees. What an amazing service it would be to have God's presence be rained down. And we could see those things that occurred. The ministry that happened. Now Solomon continued with the precedent set by his father. And he placed Asaph's sons in charge of daily thanksgiving in the new temple. And so Asaph had the job... Then he trained his sons, and Solomon said, I can't think of anyone better to continue the job than Asaph's sons. And it's their job to continue to do, sing songs, to continue to train people, continue to train the young ones, continue to teach people the word of God through song, and continue to move forward. And this was their job through Solomon's reign. Well, you say, well, that's nice. That's good that the kids are singing. But what about the rest of them? Surely someone said, you know, I just had enough of this church stuff. I, I think I'm done with that. Well, let's see what else the Bible says about these descendants. Let's look next of all, Asaph's descendants' ministry in the time of the kings. Asaph's descendants' ministry in the time of the kings. So we look at Asaph in the time of David. Asaph and his sons during the time of Solomon. Now let's look at Asaph's descendants during the period of the kings. With all the different kings that are reigning. Let's look at Jehoshaphat. Look with me in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. As you're turning there, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. What is happening is that the, the countries of... <coughs> 
<coughs> excuse me, the countries of Ammon, Moab, and Edom have joined together. And they said, we're going to destroy Israel. And so they begin to march on, and Hezekiah has prayed and says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They've got three armies, three countries that are coming against us. What are we going to do? Well, verse number 14 of 2 Chronicles 14, uh, chapter 20, verse 14 Let's see what occurs. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came in the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, hearken ye all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by the reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Amen. He goes on in verse 17, Be still and know that God is going to fight this. Be still and just know that He's God. But it was one of Asaph's descendants who stood up and said, King Jehoshaphat, let me tell you about my God. There's nothing my God can't do. Amen. All we're supposed to do is realize the battle's not ours. The battles the Lord's. Who did this? Asaph's grandkids. Great, great, great. One of those things. It's descendants down. One of Asaph's descendants. They're still serving God. And they stand before the king and says, King, it's not our battle. It's God's battle. So what does Je uh, Jehoshaphat do? Notice in verse 20 and 21. <coughs> and they rose up early in the morning and went forth in the wilderness of Toica. As they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so ye shall be established. Believe his prophets, so ye shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, that they shall praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir that were come against Judah, and they were smitten. So Jehoshaphat heard this, the descendant of Asaph that said, hey, it's not your battle, it's God's battle. Jehoshaphat prayed over and overnight and said, you know what, that's right. And just to prove it, we're going to put an army here, and before our army, we're going to have singers, and they're going to lead the troops. And they start singing God. What a great God. Our, his mercy endureth forever. By the way, if you haven't caught that phrase, that his mercy endureth forever, that has been said in almost every passage that is dealt with Asaph. That his mercy endureth forever. This is their thing. They have been taught over and over that God's mercy endureth forever. We need God's mercy. And so they're standing and they're singing songs. And as they're singing songs, God said, that's all I need to know. The battle's not yours, it's mine. And God killed them all. They go up to them and find all the dead bodies. And it takes three days to, to bring all the treasure back. And they didn't kill anybody. It was God that killed them all. Why? Because they trusted God. How did they trust God? Because Asaph taught his kids. And they taught his kids and they taught this as a continual thing that the generation to come might know. Well, that sounds good. That's one king. Let's look at another king. This is wonderful. This is good stuff. Let's look at Hezekiah. We had Jehoshaphat. Let's look at Hezekiah. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in chapter 29, 2 Chronicles 29. Told you in 2 Chronicles had a lot about Asaph and his descendants. This is good stuff. So what we have here is that King Hezekiah restored temple worship. 
The temple had been neglected for a while. King Hezekiah said, you know what? Let's rebuild the temple. Let's go back to worship. But who can I get to sing? Who can I get to, to, uh, to sing these songs? I, I mean, we, we've neglected the temple for a long time. Who is it that we can get that knows these songs? Who is it that we can get that knows the Bible? Who is it that we can get that can know what the Bible says? Well, you know what? There happens to be a group of people out there that were taught by their daddy and that taught their kids, that taught their kids, that taught their kids. Notice with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 30. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. Notice that. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshipped. You know what happened? They said, where can we get how to sing? Hey, look. Asaph the seer, he's the one that taught us. Let's go back to him. He taught these generations, had it done. So Hezekiah, when he restored the worship of the temple, guess what? There was already people in place that knew the songs and Asaph had prepared them. Notice if you don't mind, let's go to a different one. King Josiah, uh, 2 Chronicles 35. 2 Chronicles 35. If you're familiar with the story, Josiah finds the book. And he opens the book and he reads the book. And the Bible had been neglected for such a long time. So, Josiah says, we got to restore true worship. Who in the world can we get that knows these songs that is prepared? Is there anyone out there? Let's have the Passover. We haven't observed the Passover in a while. Who can lead us through all of these things? Well, wouldn't you know, there was a group of people. Notice with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 35. And notice with me in verse number 15. 2 Chronicles 35 and verse 15. <laughs> um, and the singers of the sons of Asaph were in their place. Notice this. The singers of the sons of Asaph. You know what? They even knew who they were. And they knew where the descendants were. And they said, our daddy had taught us from his daddy, from his daddy, all the way up to Asaph. Asaph. The singers of the sons of Asaph were in their place according to the commandment of David and Asaph and Haman and Jethro and the king's seer. And the porters waited every gate that they may not depart from their service for their brethren, the Levites, prepared them. So jo uh, Josiah says, you know, the Bible's been lost for a long time. Nobody knows what the Bible says. I'm trying to follow it. Is there anyone out there after all these years that knows how to go? Yes, the sons of Asaph. So we could see Asaph. He had the purpose that I'm going to teach children that the next generation will know God. And he put emphasis on teaching children and working with them, teaching them songs, teaching them to praise God, teaching them how. And generation after generation after generation, all of Israel fell aside. But there was a remnant called the sons of Asaph that knew how to serve God. Well, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. But it's not over yet. It's not done yet. We saw Asaph serving David's time. We saw Asaph and his sons serving during the time of Solomon. We see Asaph's descendants during the time of the kings. But then Asaph's sons, descendants, we see their ministry in the restoration. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Ezra, which is the next book over, Ezra chapter 2. Ezra chapter 2. And notice with me in verse number 41. Now, if you remember what's happening is that 
that the people of Israel had, or Judah, had disobeyed God and they had been put in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. 70 years they've been forced to be deported into the Babylonian empire. Cyrus the Great said, all right, you can go back home. I'll even give you money to go rebuild your temple. And most of the Hebrew people said, nah, we're fine where we're at. Oh, but there was a group of people that couldn't wait to get back. To fulfill God's promises to go back and do what they were supposed to do. Ezra chapter 2 is the listing of everyone who turned, came back. And guess what? Ezra chapter 2 and verse 41. And the singers, the children of Asaph, 120 and 8. So here you had 128 people that had been taught by their ancestor, Asaph, and been taught here. So that way when God said, hey, you can go back home. I'm going to reestablish Jerusalem. I'm going to rebuild the temple. The sons of Asaph said, we've been waiting for this the whole time. And they went back. When no one else would, they went back to go back and fulfill their things. And to go back as the singers. They were continuing Notice with me in Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. In Ezra chapter 3, we have the temple, uh, the foundations being rebuilt. It had been destroyed for 70 years. And now as they're rebuilding the temple, Ezra's like, is there anyone? Or Zerubbabel, actually. Is there anyone that knows the songs? Is there anyone that can lead in worship? Is there anyone who knows how to properly worship God in this great occasion? Well, there was. Notice with me in the book of Ezra chapter number 3. And notice with me in verses 10 and 11. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. They set priests in their apparel with trumpets. And the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals. To praise the Lord after the ordinance of David king of Israel. And they sang together by course. In praising and giving thanks unto the Lord. Because he is good. And for his mercy endureth forever. Towards Israel. And the people shouted with a great shout. And when they praised the Lord. Because the foundation of the house. Of the Lord. Was laid. Here they're singing praises. And they're worshiping God. And they've been doing the same thing they were taught. By Asaph who taught his kids. Who taught his kids. Who taught his kids. And taught his kids. All these generations down. And there's still a group of people that says. We're going to sing God. We're going to sing the praises. We're going to worship God. We're not leaving this. This is where we're supposed to be. And let us teach you how to do it. And they're going on. We continue to go forward in the ministry of Nehemiah. We're not going to turn there for the sake of time. But there are a couple people that are highlighted. You have Mataniah, a third generation grandson of Asaph. Who led the congregation with thanksgiving and prayer. That's uh, Nehemiah eleven seventeen. You could see him as an individual. Nehemiah said, hey, we got a church service here. Ezra's going to preach. Is there anyone that I could trust to lead the congregation in prayer and thanksgiving? Yep, you're a son of Asaph. You go ahead and you go. And he had the honor of leading him. You had Uzziah, uh, U-Z-Z-I, a sixth generation grandson who was in charge of the house of God. Nehemiah eleven twenty two. Nehemiah says, guess what? You're in charge here. Uh, we could trust you to continue to do the same job your great-great-great-great-granddaddy Asaph did. They had Zechariah, another sixth-generation grandson. He played the trumpet in the uh, temple. He was, he was a musician, and he was highlighted as one of the people, a son of Asaph. Where are we going with all of this, by the way? Notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 12. Nehemiah, chapter 12. By the time Nehemiah occurs, 
we know David approximately lived about 1,000 A.D. That's just a round number. David lived 1,000 A.D., which we could put Asaph in there. The restoration of the temple, or the people having the commandment to come back to the temple, is about 536 B.C., and by the time we hit Nehemiah chapter 12, we are pretty close to 480 B.C. For those of you doing math, 1,000, and then you subtract 480 minus that, 600 years approximately have passed by. And how do think people think of Asaph? Is he kind of forgotten? Is he set aside? Well, notice with me, if you don't mind, in Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12, and notice with me in verse number 46. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 46. They're giving this testimony of all the people that are used of God. Verse number, uh, chapter 12, verse 46. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chief uh, the singers, the song of praise, and the thanksgiving unto God. All those years later, people said, you know what? That was Asaph who taught people songs. It was people who taught people to be thankful to God. It was Asaph. Why? Because Asaph had a ministry Teaching children. And he taught the children how to serve God. So that way they could teach the next generation. And they could teach the next generation. And they could teach them. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that wonderful? So what should we be involved in? Children are not second class citizens. They're important. They're the lifeblood. We need to be working with children. And looking for ways to minister. To work with them. To teach them to minister. It's not the idea that kids can't do anything. Kids can do all kinds of things. In service to God. And the quicker that we get them serving. The quicker they understand. This is doing it for the Lord. They will be continuing to serve God. All of their lives. And we see that illustrated. Not just in one generation. But multiple generations. From Asaph. In fact when you go back. And read the Psalms. We know Asaph himself wrote some songs. But during Ezra's day. Ezra penned some songs. And the title of the Psalms. On the very top in the small letters. To the sons of Asaph. This is the choir that Asaph had. Of all of his descendants. And Ezra said here. Here's a song for the choir. Of the songs of Asaph to sing. And praise to God. You'll see that in some of the titles of Psalms. Pay attention to it when you read it and go, Whoa, I know what this is talking about here. It's this generation who decided they were going to continue to follow after Asaph because Asaph taught children and taught them the Bible and taught them how to follow the Bible that they could hope in God that the generation to come might know. Oh, isn't that wonderful? That's great stuff. I love it when we can take the Bible and pull all these strings and put them together and say, look at this. Asaph is a pretty important guy, isn't he? We could see him through the annals of Hebrew history and how important he really was in the light of things. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.